0: I'm Dave Monaco, the Almayer Family Head of School at Parish Episcopal School. Welcome to the From My Angle podcast. Well, we've made it through the first half of the fifth podcast season of From My Angle. This represents our final episode in 2021. I'm so glad to have Matt Feeney, author of the compelling book, Little Platoons, A Defense of Family in a Competitive Age, on this episode of the podcast. We'll conclude with it this month's exploration Of the parent-child relationship all a part of the year-long podcast theme of reconnect and reset now dr sonia Luthar certainly gave us much to consider in our last episode as she and i discussed the stressors students from high pressured communities face in these complicated days matt will extend our considerations a step further with his analysis of how parenting has shifted over the last generation you see at one time Parenting was done in private, away from the glaring eyes of peer parents, less infected by social forces, those that have driven today's parents and students alike to the very success driven, comparative laden, and anxious dispositions we explored with Dr. Luther. Matt conveys his thoughts in a very readable form, both in Little Platoons, but also in his writing for numerous national publications. He is as much a critic of institutions like competitive pre-K programs or select sports leagues, uh, elite colleges, universities, as he is an admonisher of overprotective parents and outcome-fixated students. In Matt's view, as he writes in Little Platoons, such institutions have emerged and grown in recent years to, I quote, administer the competition of families against each other, in some instances to the detriment of families and the relationship of parent and child. So as we consider how societal relationships are reconnecting post-pandemic, Matt offers unique research and insights for us to apply to our relationships as parents, to our children, parents to peer parents, and even as parents connected to civic and educational institutions. So enjoy this final episode of 2021 with author Matt Feedy. Well, welcome back to the From My Angle podcast, the final episode of this 2021 year, about midway through our podcast season on the theme of reconnect and reset, and I am so excited and so grateful to author Matt Feeney, author of the compelling book, Little Platoons, a defensive family in a competitive age, to join me today and essentially carry forward the conversation we started in our last episode with Dr. Sonia Luthar, a national expert on what parents are confronting in high-pressure communities to explore a little further what parenting is like in this complicated, as Matt would call it, competitive age. And so, Matt, thank you for joining me. Your work is so readable, I think, both in this book, Little Platoons, but also in your national work for magazines uh, across the, the country on uh, national uh, publications. And so, we're so excited to have you. Thanks for taking the time.
1: Uh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm glad to be here.
0: So I do like my offer, my guests, this opportunity to identify themselves as they uh, are most comfortable and how they would in audiences if they just walked into a room and said, hey, I'm Matt Feeney. Uh, you could be author, a teacher, dad of three. Um, so how does Matt Feeney uh, most comfortably and uh, most like to introduce himself or identify himself and awesome. meeting someone new? i would say that most commonly, but perhaps not most comfortably.
1: I uh, describe myself as a writer. Right. I always feel like, well, you know, that's kind of my gig. And, and, um, but at the same time, I, you know, it's, um, it's, you know, it strikes people a little odd. And so, so, um, but yeah, that's kind of generally how I, I, I mean, I'm a former academic, you know, um, um, but that's kind of in the past I actually taught in Texas, um, as a, as a, as a college professor. Um, oh yeah, A&M. where
0: my, my son went to Texas A&M. And so I saw that you've been at Duke and Texas a a variety of, 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 uh, uh, ports of call. And so I was interested in that notion of like researcher, academic, right, professor, teacher, well, uh, but you, you really know, see as a writer.
1: Well, I'm a writer, but I mean, it's certainly, I mean, I, you know, it's, it's generally buried in my work, but I think that it doesn't really come to the surface. It comes to the surface a few times in the, in the, in the book, but deep down in my thinking, you know, certain templates were put in place during my graduate school years, Which you know, were I a a working academic, I would be working those things out in academic articles and stuff, and being perhaps a little bit more explicit in the uh, in the those themes. Instead, in writing about you know culture and you know everything from movies to family life, um, those templates are you know generate what I write. I think, um, but they're less explicit. I have you know less occasion to kind of come out and explain what they are. But they're you know if you, I would not bore you by tracing <laughs> tracing what I've written back to what I read when I was uh, you know studying political philosophy but the connections are there. Um, which
0: is effectively what you you were what you taught. I mean that's your area of expertise is political philosophy and it is I think uh, it, uh, telling and important for our upcoming conversation that I think it very much informs the lens at which you look at modern culture and society, everything from parenting and education to college admissions uh, and and beyond right well you you know you collect you cl- as a
1: you know st- studying great political figures you collect these various um, uh, critical <clears throat> perspectives and you know they're smarter than I am it's, it's wise of me to kind of put those <laughs> put those um, geniuses to work from in my own thinking for sure
0: um, so that my, was the first, yeah, yeah that was the first of my interesting questions is like just the origin of how you how you move so it's really kind of a segue question. To to direct your journey of writing on social and cultural influences and especially on parenting and education. Do you have an origin story there moving from yeah, your you know,
1: the, the origin story itself is actually
0: quite prosaic, at least as it, as it pertains to this book,
1: which is to say that um in I guess it would have been early, either late 2015 or early 2016, um a, a controversy erupted in in uh somewhere in suburban Philadelphia about competitiveness in the school. And a bunch of people were joking about this, about this um, um, principal at this suburban high school, because he was trying to ratchet down the pressure by kind of, you know, like it, it was kind of corny what he was doing, but you know, the, um, his, what he was trying to do was, you know, was, this was a time when there were like suicide clusters in high schools mm-hmm. and stuff. And so he was, he was responding to that and trying to, to, to um, uh, you know, kind of ratchet down the pressure in his high school. And, um, a lot of people on Twitter were kind of uh, ganging up on him and talking about how he was kind of like, you know, basically just dumbing down the curriculum and stuff. And, and, um, and I just somewhat, you know, puckishly kind of like came to his defense a little bit and said, well, you know, it's kind of sucks this, all this, this pressure is really hard for, on kids and families. And uh, my, um, and my editor, the editor that we were just talking about kind of pinged me on Twitter and asked if I wanted to write a piece on this. And so that was really how it started. I just. I'd never really, it ended up being an article about the college admissions process. And I'd never really, I never, I mean, I had not thought systematically about the college admissions process. I knew I had a kind of general beef against college administrators. I thought that there was a kind of way that they were taking over the university in an unhealthy way. And, uh, but I hadn't really thought about how they related to family life until I looked into the topic of the admissions process. And I was I was, you know, the more I read this, the more appalled I was, and um, and so it just became something of a, of a, you know, it became, it, it was something that became very it was it, its roots are very pragmatic and very much about the mechanics of coming up with an article to write, but it, it, my descent into a kind of mania of opposition to the uh, college admissions bureaucracy was entirely authentic and it was very entirely driven by my own kind of normative commitments about about human freedom and. Uh, and the, um, the the ingenious and and um, insidious way in which institutions, um, prompted by our own activities, kind of take up uh, a kind of disciplinary role in our lives. And um, it was and what I read about just just the it was it was so textbook when I first started reading about the admissions process, um, you know, a, a textbook case of of things that I had been concerned about. That it was it was just a natural fit once I you know once I went forward from there
0: yeah and thus the notion of of the family as platoon somewhat pr- trying to protect itself yeah, against right. these encroaching organizations which we'll get into and this uh, really bizarre uh, feedback loop of parents acting more in, in a way that stimulates the behavior of the institutions that are uh-huh. in fact. Right. worsening the life of the families. And we'll get into that some, but I'm wondering too, uh, a little bit as a side note, uh, you mentioned this kind of pragmatic approach to it, but how about practically as a parent of three, like, had you begun to feel any of this as a parent yourself, where uh, as you describe in the book, several experiences uh, around select sports teams or the competitive right. pre-K process, like how much of this, uh, how much of this uh, interest in uh, this sector of our culture, family life, uh, had begun to to come to fore because of your parenting experience.
1: All right. Well, so, so this was 2016 was this, this article came out. And what I confessed to in the article was just, uh, um, you know, at that point, my oldest kid was in fourth grade. I have three kids. My, my youngest was not yet in, in elementary school. And um, my middle child was, I guess, in second grade. And all I, could, all I could say was, you know, once this topic kind of entered my brain was, oh, It just filled me with this kind of dread, um, which I I think because I already had a kind of oppositional reflex to kind of submitting to the process, given my disposition and what I studied and stuff. And I wasn't I already knew parents who were already kind of gung ho about doing the competitive thing and and kind of thinking of everything in terms, you know, for their kids were in in elementary school, thinking of things in terms of, of getting into a good college. And the whole thing just made me, I just wanted to just shrink from that, right? That was my, so that was how I began was just a general, a general aversion, just a deep cellular aversion to entering the the rat race, because I just felt like it was this kind of imposition. It kind of wanted to tell me how it was supposed to raise my kids. Yeah and that was you know so i found it galling in in, in in when i you know forced to consider it and i just didn't want to think about it and so this article made me think about it
0: and right it, it was this confluence of of your parenting hat and and hearing this story from philadelphia Yeah, and so yeah. this was kind of so so
1: that sat in my brain but at the same time when i got around to writing the book and i got you know my book contract because um in the in the, um, the the book had a kind of origins that are somewhat similar to the 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 um the originating article, which is to say that my agent asked me if I wanted, just as my editor asked me if I wanted to write an article, my agent asked me if I wanted to write a book. And, and so suddenly I was like, okay, well, in the idea of a book on family life kind of fit with the template that I already had in my head, which goes back to my study of, of, of Emmanuel Kant's philosophy about this idea of separate spheres and kind of keeping spheres Mm. of life kind of um, uh, unencumbered by each other so that there's different ways of being free and cult. And I imagine family as a kind of a, a kin, a kind of an parallel to Kant's idea of aesthetic culture, which to say a little life world that is in, in, uh, perpetually embattled by other forces, which want it, want it to speak their language, right? Mm-hmm. So culture is this thing, art, aesthetic music, that kind of, in, in the, dis- the discourse around things, you know, and the, in the kind of German idealist has this idea of these things as being as, as, as having their own kind of grammar their own kind of language and in their beauty and their value for culture or society is the fact that they kind of are different mm-hmm. and so i had this idea of family kind of like having a similar status kind of borrowing from content that 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 family is different right so the, the, the the syntax of family life is different from the syntax of the market it's different from from the syntax of of, 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 of outside you know life in in, in in pop culture and everything that you you kind of like created a private language of, of your family and that's a kind of beautiful thing
0: yeah and yeah and that's really fascinating because then you went to your political philosophy influence and 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 when you, you talk about edmund burke's you know notion of little platoons that's the that the, the family You describe as a platoon, a a battle regiment, like so. Carry that idea of this, of this kind idea of freedom and sphere, protected spheres, disassociated from one another, over to why you chose little platoons to describe the family. So my original,
1: I, I, I I had a even you know more combative title, right? So here we have this theme that this kind of like theme of like (laughs) the combative relation, the embattled relationship with family and, and and its surroundings. Yeah. And the original, my, the original title, in fact, the title under which the book was contracted was Family and Its Enemies. So it was, you know, even more kind of like in your face. And it was, again, I was a political philosophy student and I was very fond of Edmund Burke's Reflections on a Revolution in France, which is where this phrase comes from. And I was very fond of the phrase and the, and the general passage in which it appears is quite lovely. Um, but um, again, it was my agent who said, you know, why don't we my agent was something you know more than just a, a mechanic of book sales she's very much an intellectual and a, and a very smart smart woman and 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 she was she was the one who thought you know little platoons is uh is is really the natural title for the book and so, so I, catchy,
0: well, yeah, that, it's, yeah it is so catchy it's it and it's catchy in a way that's not obvious so as i as i mentioned before we got started with the recording like I I was interested in the theme of reconnect and I was interested in this notion of family and the connections of families, how they might've been altered by the pandemic, et cetera. And so your your book title caught my attention. And then I started to read it and it was, you know, this unfurling of of layer that was really fascinating that we'll dig into a little bit. I mean, a central premise of your book that you've referenced here a little bit is that, you know, in this competitive mood now that has, permeated uh, parent to parent, uh, parent to peer relationships today, and it's been driven by these social cu- cultural phenomenon, which you explore in the book. So, you know, these formerly independent spheres, as you refer to them, have begun to bump up into one another and actually become more permeable and actually infiltrated one another. And so you have this entire chapter on the topic of parenting in public. You know, this idea that I used to parent independent of how you and your spouse parented. And it wasn't a public comparative process. It was what happened in our home happened in our home. But today you write, and I quote in the book, parents find themselves looking over their shoulders, feeling exposed to a lineup of ungenerous gazes, hostile judges, both real and imagined. And this resonates so much for me uh, now three decades into my um, school career and how I've seen parents shift from being confident in their own sense of parenting, aligned with their own family's values to being more cognizant of how to shift their parenting techniques to align with what they think the masses are doing. So speak to this psychology of parenting today and specifically, how has it impacted the parent-child relationship in these little platoons, within these individual family platoons?
1: Right. Well, first of all, Dave, I have to like commend you. uh, You're an excellent reader of my book. I mean, like, I feel like there's, there's, you know, um, I feel like that there are certain layers that like I, that don't need to be brought up that you can read it and, and I feel like you are persistently kind of like digging down and, and accurately representing uh, uh, you know half hidden uh, uh, philosophical elements, which I appreciate um, so one of the things that um, um, one of the things that again of a curious kind of origin of this art um, this argument is you know, partly was just being online. I, I was kind of being online and being aware of what was happening and like social media and stuff kind of like equipped me with, and also reading about other smart people, reading about what they were writing about this stuff, equipped me with a sort of um, a kind of interpretive, uh, a set of interpretive tools about, about the way that, about like mimetic behavior, that is to say the way that we, you know, given, given intimate access to each other, the way that our, our, um, our attitudes and our behaviors and our inner lives become, kind of mimetic Let's say we come to imitate each other and it's hard i mean this is a natural thing and i think that you know i don't and i and I make an effort not to make this a kind of you know scabrous critique of parenting because i feel like it's parents um you know it's like and, and and there's a part where i go back and discuss like you know the anthropology of archaic tribes you know that there's a way in which we're simply kind of re um recapitulating uh Patterns of behavior that were very familiar in, like, say, tribal life when people lived very close together, and they in their survival depended on really and an a kind of almost like you know the um, occupying a singular consciousness or a single consciousness of um, a communal consciousness, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so, therefore, and because they had such intimate contact with each other, their um, they. Their, their way of kind of acting is very much informed by this mimetic dynamic, this dynamic of, of kind of imitating each other. They had to be like each other. Mm-hmm. And so, in you know, in kind of modern society, we kind of like fell away from each other, but with social media, we've kind of like come back into contact with each other at this intimate level. And um, and so the the, the circuitry of, of mimesis, the circuitry of kind of like just, just being aware of, of each other as, has become kind of has come back into the you know into the way into the way we conduct ourselves, and so this is a little bit a uh, little bit of an anachronism with regard to, to parenting, but it kind of applies. And then I thought, well, you know, there's a way in which parenting, especially when parenting became more competitive, and, and I in this I dated to the late '80s, especially the early 1990s, for various economic and in and, and historical reasons relating to population growth. An um, in intensification of the, of the college admissions, the earliest stage of this kind of college admissions mania, and parenting became more intentional, more um, more labor intensive, and parents. And so I kind of there's a in, in the article parenting in public, I make a kind of it's somewhat somewhat whimsical in its simplicity, but I am attracted to you know like little nuggets of, of simplicity in, in this type of explanation. But I kind of make the argument that, well, you know, people parents started showing up more. They simply started showing up more, right? Parents are like at, when I was in high school, when I was in, but played, when I played uh, like Babe Ruth baseball, one of my parents came to some of my games, right? And sometimes there was no parents in the stands at all. And and now there's, you know, like you're, every parent is at every practice and, or, you know, at least one parent is at every practice and both parents are almost always at every game. And so there's, there's just a general ethos of, a presence of being present as a parent and so one of the things that i i kind of like am suggesting in this art of argument is that this kind of like gives parents greater kind of passive access to each other that we are in each other's presence we become more aware of mm-hmm. how each other you know and so the, the just the dynamics of so this is a, this is to kind of place it at a kind of a kind of mechanistic level right instead of it trying to kind of reach for kind of like murky cultural explanations or or something like that i am kind of like i find it appealing to kind of look to the simple physical the, the changes that we ex, you know um in our in way we inhabit our role as parents simply physically
0: that is yeah the, it's purely so it's purely sociological right it's just it's an instead of being uh, instead of being in a nomadic tribe we're all connected on facebook yeah, wow. and, I, and yeah. I would only say like the intimacy of the of the of the tribes you describe is a lot is a is a lot more authentic I feel like it's a bit more superficial what we see uh, cool. on on Facebook and so the yeah. impact on our kids is you know we we, we kind of get whipped around by these right. Uh, these it's families unknown, right so right.
1: Like when, when you're a tribe it's like it's all it's all in, it's all integrated into this kind of pool <laughs> right whereas with with parents like the signals, you know, we're, we're 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 you know, it's not like we're um, um, what Marcel Mauss, the philo- the uh, anthropologist, who described what he describes this, this phenomenon of uh, of the gift economy, he describes it as a total system, right? It's a total system that that constitutes life, like top to bottom, in people's brains. Um, whereas our system of it's it's you know, from its standpoint, it's a total system, right? It's a total system of integrated uh, uh, networks selves but psychically and culturally for us is a partial system, right? And so we're, yeah. we have access to only kind of like um, uh, specific kind of like signals from, and we're also, we're also kind of looking out for only specific um, signals from the kind of parenting world. And so so um, both in Facebook and in, in the kind of prior, so I'm kind of like, I, I kind of make an, argument. I mean, the argument I'm making is that, uh, you know, that even before social media, a, a kind of quasi social media phenomenon kind of like took root among in parenting culture, um, because simply in the, the, because parents were showing up people, mm-hmm. parents were present in a way visible to each other in a way kind of uh, psychically accessible to each other in a way that kind of like helped the circuitry of mimesis kind of take, take shape and, and be fueled. And, um, and then, you know, social media and, and just the I existence. To it.
0: Now that, yeah, in words, the most not- practical, in the most practical terms, what I've seen is, you know, because we're on the sideline together at the soccer game, the conversation is struck up about, um, oh, Johnny's with the math tutor this week. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah exactly. Johnny has a
0: math tutor yeah. or uh, we're at the soccer practice. And it's like, well, after this, I'm taking Johnny uh, to see his private coach. Oh, oh Johnny has a, a private coach. Right. And, and so and so what has ended up happening, if you're talking about really how the, the parent child connection has been impacted by this is this this push and pull between parents trying to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak, in right. parenting language uh, and, and seeing parents feeding each other in this frenzy of if I don't do more for my kid, if I'm literally right. not present for them in provision of access to resource, I am failing them. And the, And the net result is what we see all around us in high pressured communities like we we're talking about with Dr. Luther is overscheduled, overprogrammed kid yeah. because of this parenting phenomenon that you're describing like i no longer in my little platoon parent my child based on the values that we as the platoon hold to be sacred i am completely pulled to what i call here around my community proxy parenting you know essentially like oh what are you doing right <laughs> like it's like and so we're 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 not we're not grounded in our parenting yeah that's I mean,
1: that's very that's very very right? close argument I make and I mean like yeah. I kind of envisioned it in kind of a, almost like in a flow chart terms where like you see the, the direction of the arrows. Well you can imagine in the kind of the, the little platoon kind of like setting the arrows are kind of like passing are pointed at parent and child right whereas in the kind of the, the pressurized kind of socialized parent, parenting model the parenting and public model the, the in the the arrows increasingly kind of point laterally to other parents. And, um, and, and, and and so that that's one dilemma, right? So that our our kind of attentiveness to the to, to our inner needs of our family are, is diluted or distorted by this hyper awareness of what other parents are doing, and it also kind of like because it instills a kind of fear in us, we spend a lot of our, uh, our a lot of our kind of like consciousness is then kind of like projected into the future, like about this the scary future. What's you know what does the
0: future hold in store? The ratchets for us? up everybody's everybody's anxiety, yeah. and it creates in terms of peer parent. Relationship, you know this. This this. Uh, ju- ju- there's ju- there's judgment. Oh, you're not doing this. You right. are doing this. There's co- there's that competition you talk about in the subtitle text of your book. This competitive age. They're, they're doing this, and and so it really, really, I think flavors uh, the connections that we had. And this, as you cite, was evident pre-pandemic. Um, I don't know. I, did the pandemic quell it or only amplify it? Maybe it's to be determined, but. Uh, it certainly is a part of the age in which we educators and certainly we parents are having to exist. The second premise of your book, which is also just like equally as fascinating to me, is this is this idea of how of, of how the inner sanctum and refuge of families has been penetrated by this uh, all these institutions. And you offer several examples in your book in your chapters. There's one on on preschool programs. Now parents are climbing over each other to get their kids into the quote unquote right preschool program or select sport leagues or college admissions, the system itself. And, and effectively, as we talked about earlier, it, you know uh, these these systems have manipulated the parent frenzy to their advantage and in doing so continued to throw off the ecosystem balance of families and create more anxiety and more frenzy and, and more and more churn in, in families, you know as as you say, the, the best off and best positioned families are the ones that they're after. So unpack this relationship dynamic between families and institutions, as you see them in this competitive, in this competitive age.
1: All right. So the, the in the, in, in the book, I, I, I ended up like, I ended up with a kind of a formula, a, a formula of, uh, of, um, political philosophers that, uh, that, you know, that these two, these two elements kind of, um, uh, together. the first is Hobbes, Thomas Hobbes' his idea of the state of nature and this kind of like the, the, the fearful, the, again, it's a very much a mimetic circuitry of fear that operates in Hobbes' state of nature, which turns it, unlike the state of natures of Locke and Rousseau, turns into a state of war immediately. You know, a mm-hmm. state of once the state of once there is no common power, then everyone is governed by fear because there's no one to prevent violence right. of, of person against person, right? So so what? So using Hobbes is the kind of model for the kind of like the fear aspect, the mimetic fear aspect of parenting on one hand, which drives this kind of competitive uh, striving. And then then the, 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 it was Hobbes. And then the second element, politi- the second theorist that I kind of like was influenced by was this the French, the no, very very notorious French theorist, but who, also, who was also very very fruitful for me, uh, Michel Foucault, who was uh, who died in 1984. Was a um, very kind of strange figure, but anyway, but, but Foucault's. Um, What Foucault kind of like bequeaths to us, I think, or to me anyway, is a suspicion of a kind of suspicious reading of the the way institutions work, right? So um, the normal, you know, he he responded to like the the kind of the the model for kind of critical engagement with with society, you know, in the middle part of the 20th century was kind of owed a fair amount to a, a kind of a mix of Freud and Marx, where the idea was that that people were oppressed, re, were essentially repressed, right? So this idea that there kind of that capitalism and, and other forces kind of like bore upon their urges and repressed them, and um, this is what 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 uh, Foucault calls the the, the uh, repressive hypothesis in his book on sexuality, and um, and but what 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 Foucault argues is that is that really what institutions do. Is they feast on our activity, right? So they, um, so, so, and in, they incite busy. They incite a, a, a kind of productivity from us. And so, instead of repressing us, what they're doing, in fact, is inciting our our agency to action. And so, um, and so, we, and to apply this to the to kind of like the parenting environment, you see parents um, anxious about the the future of their children, wanting to strive, wanting to kind of like strive on their behalf, wanting to kind of like gain a competitive edge. And then overlaying this kind of like stratum of, of, of parents and you know fretful parents and, and ambitious parents, you have a handful of of you know a strew of kind of gatekeeping institutions who offer, who purport to offer an advantage in this competitive process. And so what ends up Taking shape is a kind of a kind of transactional relationship between the parents and these institutions, and the, the 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 example in the the example in the of the competitive preschools is 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 instructive. It's fairly limited sociologically. I mean, it's really only the kind of like the super hyper affluent precincts where people right. are engaging in this. But nonetheless, it's a it's a, it's an interesting model of 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 the phenomenon in which. Um, Parents are free. These are wealthy. In this, I go. I talk about a, 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 the, the setting in Manhattan, where you have these wealthy, yeah. you know, um, uh, uh, parents with a great deal of cultural and social wherewithal, nonetheless having to suck up to these these um, preschool heads right who who are saying well you know my school can give your child a leg up and so 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 we have this weird inversion of the kind of power relation between these powerful parents and these humble school administrators where the administrators basically you can just feel the sense of like superiority that they feel over these these um, these scrambling scrabbling yep. parents. And it's just a, it's a very interesting phenomenon, but the, but, you know, it's a more, so in other words, that, that illustrates it at, at a kind of, at, a, at a, a fairly obvious level. And I find it just because the ironies, the social ironies are so apparent that it's a kind of fun thing to describe.
0: Yeah. And the much more in the much more uh, uh, subtle one is the select teams, right? So yeah. again, yeah. by getting on these teams, you know, we can help your deliver your child to the athletic scholarship but in the meantime, we need you to pay us X. And by the way, we're going to take over that time formally allocated to family time on your Saturdays and Sundays to have you play, you know, interminable numbers of soccer games and many of them out of your in the locus of your city. Right. You know, so you have to try to apply to Europe to play these and so that's this—that's this sort of in somewhat uh, insidious way, not necessarily intentionally by these organizations. And believe me, I run one, right? I run a private school at thirty thousand dollars in Dallas, right? So like, I'm not I'm a nerd of the fact that, in in essence, I represent one that plays on some of these same transactional elements to which you speak. But like, if we don't give airing to them when it comes to those of us that are that are interested in the well-being of kids then I don't know how reflective we can be about um, trying to counter them or trying to create cultures within these organizations that in the end are, are, are aimed to be healthier for our kids and and better for our families.
1: Well, one of the things I think that like, you know, and it's, it's, it's heartening to see a a, a head of a private school, you know, kind of so mindful about these dynamics because, um, and I think that maybe, you know, someone in your position um, has something of an advantage, right? Because you are in fact charged with a, with a, pedagogical mission. Um, and so there's a way in which, you know, you and a bully pul-
0: and a bully pulpit. Right. Yeah. I mean, to a certain degree, like I, I, I can talk at least in my segment of my community to people who are coming to our school or interested in, or who are presently here about, you know, what is it that we value? Like, what do we want this experience to feel like I just did it for prospective parents this morning I say like, we can talk about outcomes, or we can actually talk about what the experience is going to feel like for your kid when they're here. Right. And here's what we offer relative to the texture of the experience. But, you know, that's this is one this is one candle blowing in what feels like a hurricane at this point right. of a societal drift toward com- competition and achievement and outcome fixation. Right. right. <laughs> you know, yeah. And so I think that you get to that. And, and certainly you're writing on the college admissions. That's probably where you've done the bulk of your writing as another monster that is completely fed. Uh, the anxiety of segments of our population that begin it, right?
1: by the anxiety of, of the population. It's like they're, you know, and, and, and again, this is the kind of, this is the um, um, this is Bucot, our, our aspect of it. There's a metaphor that he uses in his book, Discipline and Punish, where he's talking about, um, he's talking about um, a very kind of dramatic historical event where a, a, somebody who tried to kill the king was caught. And this was like in the 17th century, France. And somebody who tried to kill the king was caught and he was, um, he was, so he was subject to the kind of punishment of the time, which is this gruesome public torture. And, and the torture goes awry or the, the, uh, the execution goes awry and it's just, and it doesn't go as the execution was supposed to go. And this, um, the, uh, the, instead of it being a kind of a display of the awesome power of the state, it becomes this human drama where the, the people in, in attendance are, start to feel shame for what's happening, right? And so it's it's an instance in which the, the, the um, in, in which sovereign power is, it becomes, um, is, is kind of rendered, cr- creates problems. And, and what Foucault writes at this moment is that, you know, like, instead of it being Oh, a big disaster for the, for the sovereign. It becomes an occasion for the sovereign to extend its power by uh, treating the shame. The tr- shame then becomes fuel for, sh- f- the, 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 what Foucault writes is this shame spreads and the psychologists and minor civil servants of moral orthopedics proliferate on the wound it leaves. It is, it is you know, kind of describing how um, things, you know, kind of like problems at the level of society infuse and inform um and fuel feed institutions and how institutions are kind of like attracted kind of like parasites to these kind of this these kind of sites of of, of social ferment yep. and, and, and and so the so in the college missions in the case of the college missions you can just see the way in which the college missions bureaucracy just kind of like that there's this great deal of anxiety and and competitive fear among parents, and the way with the 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 college admissions bureaucracy, especially among select colleges, has kind of set itself upon this this body of anxiety, and is just just fueled by it and fed by it, and continues to kind of incite more and more anxiety and and, and to kind of draw more and more. Um, Draw more and more output from children and families to feed its own kind of power. You, so much,
0: so much so that, as with Varsity Blues, they will completely capitulate any sense of personal values or morals or ethics, right, to 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 get a child into one of these super competitive schools who have consciously, really, right. I think from the from the trustee level, made active strategic decisions to lower their year, yield rates under ten percent. To, to further amplify their quote-unquote eliteness which right. matches again to your point the anxiety and interest right the attractiveness of them to the parents and and begins to change the again the, the context of connection or relationship between the parents and the students it's this fascinating thing it's also matt really depressing because at the end of the day this is one big biofeedback system right it's a, it's a it's it's uh it's this ecosystem and so to to, to have that to have that altered requires some form of interruption to it. So what I didn't really sense in your book, and I was sort of hanging on it toward the end, was like, okay, what are we going to do about this? Right. Well, so, yeah, I- you Kind of like
1: I'm, I'm <laughs> open in the conclusion. I kind of admit to an absence <laughs> of solutions. Um, because the, you know, the for, for my kind of like philosophical starting point with the idea of like the little platoons that the idea of family being this kind of separate thing. Um my my first impulse is to say, well, the um, the right solution is to kind of retreat into to, right. you know, like the whole Rod Dreher. I don't know if you're familiar with Rod Dreher, but the Fran what the the with the Francis op whatever the um uh, about like basically retreating and kind of like telling the rest of society to go away and kind of like drawing the but but the problem is that that still leaves you in the same position, right? You don't really yeah.
0: Um, it's it's impossible. You're it's, it's impractical in today's world to simply just say, I'm going to take my ball and go home. Right. Right. Because at that point, then the parent feels like they are disadvantaging their, their students. It seems to me that the solution has to be at the systemic level and, and where these, where these large systems, organizations, and institutions all come to a recognition of the issue and begin to work back toward, those boundaries that you were describing before with, with, you know, with your Kantian, uh, with your Kantian, uh, uh, construct that they, that they exist happily and and in a, in a healthy relationship with one another. And that's just where I become depressed because I don't really, at this point, see higher ed or schools like mine or select soccer teams. Like I think the horse has left the barn and sprinted way out across the field and we can't get it back.
1: I mean, so, yeah, so there's two, there's, you know, all the different levels to, to pitch this at, is where you're, where, where you're, inter, where you want your interruption of these yeah. things to come from. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, I'm like, you know, like, we have, like, create a different society, you know I mean? Like, we have a less competitive society. Of course, you know, America is, like, you know, path dependent on this. America is America, right? And, and, right. and so, and so it's very hard to, you know, I think that, like, you know, my own kind of, like. Preferred political economy has changed a fair amount over the last kind of twenty years or so, and I become kind of a bit more of a, a bit more of a social democrat. I think in my kind of in my kind of preference for like what kind of arrangement we would we would have to kind of make people feel secure, so secure enough they don't feel like you know one wrong turn in life is,
0: mm-hmm.
1: life is you know kind of you plummet into an abyss of, right. of a bad life. Um. So so that is you know so on one hand that's one of the ways to pitch this as a um, as you know, kind of possible, you know, an area of solution um, or at least remedy. But in another one, the you know, one reason I think, one value I think in kind of in, in continuing to bash at the college admissions process is because this is really where this is the kind of more proximate cause, proximate kind of source of the kind of larger systemic issues. And it's also a, a you know it's at colleges, and so these these you'd think anyway that 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 people operating at the at within institutions of higher learning would be capable of critical self-reflection and in self, self-correction right that, that, that you, they could internalize uh, critical messages and maybe kind of have, step back and say, well what are we doing wrong now you don't see a great deal of that among the in the among college admissions higher ups that they are very kind of self-confident they believe that their mission is very sound. And pretty much every, they're, they're thinking when they, when you, when they talk about reforming the college admissions process, what they generally think is that everyone else needs to reform and they can continue to do what they're doing, only more of it. And uh, and that's your,
0: that's your trope, that's your trope on holistic admissions and, you know, things that they've, that they put forward as potential solutions to uh, make a more healthier, you know, healthier process. And so, yeah, I mean, I hear you suggesting that at that institutional level, these these usually uh, idealistic institutions, right, would bring such ideals to, to the very process that brings students to their to their campuses. But I'm with you. I, I don't, you know, I, I don't know that the business, I don't know that the business model um, is, is going to allow them to do it. They may talk about it in the back rooms. It's like, man, this has really gotten out of whack, but applications continue to soar. Yield rates continue to go down. Tuitions continue to be pushed up. And so really, where's the where's the motiv-
1: where's the motivation? You yeah, know, the entire way they understand the problems is that the admissions process is not holistic enough. Right. And so but it's precisely the holistic side of the admissions process, this personalized side of it that makes that kind of creates the sense of this kind of false precision where, where people think that, oh, you know, real, real careful distinctions are being made here. These distinctions are irreducibly arbitrary. Um, but nonetheless, they go through this whole rigmarole of, of selecting these through on these personal criteria of you know, the essays and all of these kind of things. This, this kind of like where in in this and and so there's a there's a way in which that the, um, the 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 going to reflective side of it on it, kind of within the admissions bureaucracy is such that well they're already doing the this the by making the process softer and more personalized are actually already doing the virtuous work of reform, but they don't realize that that's actually the problem. That's what raises the psychic stakes of the competition by saying, oh, it's really, not only is it about your grades, it's about how good of a person you are, as if they can tell the difference between one kid and another.
0: Or how authentic, quote unquote, your essay is. So you better go out and get the essay coach that helps you find that right voice, right? And so again, everybody's running around over each other, trying to find the college consultant or the essay coach that helps their, uh, child's essay glisten a little right. bit more than the peer, than the peer child, you know, does. And, and, and the rest of the, the vicious cycle just continues unabated. Right. And, and it's, it's and,
1: and it's, but the thing is, is that the, the, so as they respond to these, this, you know, as they respond to these kind of new layers of, of, of concern, um, they do it in a way that, you know, they're, they're, you know, they kind of have a political function within their institutions and within the larger society, which, you know, that's to say they're, you know, they're bureaucracies and they kind of like are carrying out a bureaucratic survival process like bureaucracies do. And part, and there's an ideological component to this where they they're basically like, creating a kind of narrative of what their value is right and that, that and, and that narrative commits them to going deeper and deeper and deeper mm-hmm. because when they do that they can present themselves as being softer and more personalized and more personable and more humane and all these kind of different things when in fact is uh what they're doing is staking deeper and deeper and deeper claims on the souls of these kids and yep. uh and so it's a um it's so another a, a pretty fundamental is i mean this this is this is a and you know and also you have to get a envision that well these are these are administrators who are um, who are engaged in the kind of like ongoing power struggles within their own institutions to kind of like have more power within the institution and so if they're going to seed if they're going to like change how aggressive they are in pursuing their softer emissions um, mission um, the way they the way they do then that will be for them to also uh, yield in um, how much power they have within their own institutions, which is they don't want to do that either. So there's a lot of there's a lot of embedded incentives for them to continue on the path that uh, they're on. And yeah, um,
0: most de- most definitely. I mean, and I think in, I think in closing, like if I were to give advice to a family, which I often often do, I would go back to what Dr. Luthor said, which is the end of the day. And it connects to your message of political tunes. Be competent. In who you are as an individual, parent, be healthy in your worldview, know what you value as a parent, what your what your definitions of success for your child are, and and protect those things, fortify yourself. Against these forces, because as we've just discussed, Matt, I don't think they're gonna. I don't think they're gonna change at the at the systemic or macro level. So this is time for families to to reset and and retrench in terms of things that they value off, uh, within their within their within their platoon, and and to hold fast to those and uh, sort of be damned what what the rest of the world seems to be telling them. It's hard. It's it's not a it's not a uh, an easy message to sell, but I think it is the only one. In this competitive age, if you're if you're interested in the sanity of your home and your child, uh, th- that's the best advice th- th- that I can give. I can also advise, give them the advice to read your stuff. They can go to mattfeeney.com, and look at your uh, website for some of your writing and pick up this book, Little Platoons, as a holiday gift, because you know it's a really provocative read. If you're trying to figure out, um, especially as like you are now with a parent of kind of middle school kids approaching high school, um, how, how do you want to go about that? with them as they start this journey. Uh, and, and I think your, your writing offers really um, a lot of provocations. So, so appreciate you hanging out and talking philosophy with me today.
1: My, my pleasure, David. You're a great interlocutor. It was, it was, it was a nice chat for sure.
0: It was, it was awesome. Hey, best wishes for the holiday.
1: All right. Same, same to you.
0: Thank you for listening to this edition of the From My Angle podcast. Please share it with friends and colleagues in your network. After the holidays, we will shift our thematic focus from reconnect to reset, the second half of our framework for the year. Having explored this fall how we have connected the key relationships in our lives in these early post-pandemic days, we will next consider the reset. What is it that lies ahead in our lives, both in general terms and specifically here at Parish? In January, we will investigate the question of whether, and if so, how the pandemic may have reset how school works. And in our Parish Connection episode in January, we will return to the days of parishes expansion as our school community reset its identity from the sweet Parish Day pre-K through six school on the Hillcrest campus to the emergent parish Episcopal school that we know today. I look forward to bringing these episodes to you. But in the meantime, please accept my very best wishes to you and your family for a holy, healthy and relaxing holiday break. We'll see you in 2022.